right. Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our podcast where we... <laughs> Let's go, dude. You gotta go. No, you didn't say... You just stopped right there. That's right. Why, that's because that one's it's, a little gigantic. You, have to, you gotta stay. You gotta stay. All right, you start again, so. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, sometimes winding conversation of Frontier Church, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of the morning. Mm. In today's podcast, we're going to take a look at the second half of the Apostles' Creed and see how it gives us a standard of orthodoxy in the church to where we know we are following Jesus with the same beliefs and the same convictions. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope this podcast helps you worship local. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors at Frontier Church, and this morning I am joined by... I'm Cole, and I'm a church member at Frontier. And I'm Luke Snowden. I'm the lead pastor. Yeah. <laughs> this, is our, this is our second go. Joseph okay. Dynabro is the worst. Yeah. This is what happens when we don't hang out together for like two weeks. Yeah, this is true. But yeah, so today we're going to be looking at the Apostles' Creed. We've already done one episode on the first half of it, so we're going to look at that second half of it. Um, because we are a church that confesses the Apostles' Creed. We believe in the Apostles' Creed. We believe it gives us a standard for orthodoxy. So what we mean by that is we can look at the Apostles' Creed and say, these are explicit truths that we find in the Scriptures, and this this protects the church from heresy. It protects the church from from going down wrong areas mm. because we want to follow mm-hmm. Jesus together, knowing that we as members of the local church and members of the universal church, uh, that we believe the same thing. So, guys, uh, what what do you think our church needs to hear about the second half of the Apostles' Creed? Well, I mean, there's like there's the classic bits that we need to really clarify, particularly like what do we mean when we say the Holy Catholic Church? So there's definitely some clarity there. But I mean, I I like the intro that you wrote for this podcast, right? Like, it gives us a standard of orthodoxy in the church because I think like really like young pastors and young leaders, or for that matter, any leader, they're not we're not really trustworthy. Like we could, I mean, we are like, we're qualified yeah. biblically, but but if there's not a standard of confession in the church, then you end up just following the whims of whatever book your lead pastor or mm-hmm. associate pastor mm-hmm. happens to be reading at the time. Yeah. So it, it, it should comfort the church that we're confessional. I think that's huge, man. Like, this, this should be able to, if you've memorized the Apostles' Creed and you hear someone on our preaching team get up and preach something that is that contradicts the Apostles' Creed, you as a church member should say, hey, that's that's not true. We, we don't believe that. Why did you say that? Uh, why did you use that sentence that way? Why did you uh, seem to uh, preach this sermon? And it, and it kind of looks like you don't really care about the ascension of Jesus or you don't believe that that happened, which no one in Frontier is going to say that from, our, from the pulpit. But... Theoretically, if that were to happen, uh, you should you're armed with Christian orthodoxy by by the Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. Joseph, mm-hmm. as a worship leader, um, you're you're leading our church and singing and worshiping Jesus through song, and then right after that third song and the first half of our worship service, the Apostles' Creed usually comes in. What are you thinking whenever you're leading our church in worship and knowing that the the Apostles' Creed is going to be confessed? I think I think it well coming from a background where we'd never did anything like this, just the confession together in unity really. Cause I always thought like there were breaks in like the flow of the service, but being at frontier, it feels like it adds more to the flow of the service than I ever could have imagined. And so 
there's a lot of joy in knowing, okay, we're about to confess together in unity and express in, in how we're and express like our beliefs together as we're, we're, we're together as a church. And that's, it's just, it's huge. It's a huge encouragement to me. So do you, do you ever have to, do you ever have to answer the question of Joseph? I feel like the confessional bits of Sunday morning worship distract me from worship. Personally, yeah. Do do like people in the worship band oh. say that, or do members say that, or visitors? No, I think I think the only people that have a hard time are the drummer that's underneath the screen that can't read it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I never, I never feel like I, I think if anything, I've, I have more people say like, I really love that we do these things together and we're mm-hmm. confessing together. So like, I never thought in a million years I'd get like emotional doing that, that together. And there are several times over the past almost five years where I've, I've been very like st- struck by the Holy Spirit, like, oh, wow, like, this is so good for us. And it really ties so much into what we're doing here as a church. So can you take that one inch deeper? Like, why, why do you experience, why do you have emotional experiences during the confession of the saints? I I mean, it's the unity behind it. Like, Mm. there's such, there's such a depth to, yes, we're, I mean, singing is fantastic and I love it because I connect so well to music, but when you can stop and like confess this together, there is a lot in the eloquency behind the way things are said. And it, it definitely, it opens up the scripture in a different way because it connects with, with these words on a different level, I think. So you, it just ties a lot of like the ideas that and theology that we know so well, and it really beautifully expresses it. Um, and so together, that is just it's just a it's joyful. It's really joyful. Mm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, totally, man. Yeah, thanks for explaining that. Yeah, and and liturgy in general, but especially the confessions, because those are the most um, labor intensive for the, the congregant uh, to to uh, participate in because with the Apostles' Creed, the, there's a liturgist that leads um, the, the quoting of the, of the creed, uh, but the church together is, is saying it line for line, for, line, for line. Yeah. Um, and so it's really cool because confession, it, it's hard, it's hard, you stand out more if you're not participating in confessing yeah. the creeds, right? Yeah. People can zone out from the music, people can zone out from the preaching and, mm. and, um, and that's, not we want people to engage in those things, right? We want people yeah. to be praying for the for the preacher. We want people to be actively listening to the preaching. We want people to be communing with God in the preaching. We want people to be doing those same things during singing. Uh, but with liturgy being the work of the people, it kind of strips away that that performance um, aspect of you know just looking at the band as just a band, not people leading you in worship. Yeah. Or it strips away the the allure of treating the preacher just like a you know. A motivational speaker up there. It, it involves you in in confessing these biblical truths. Um, so that's what I, I love about liturgy, and it's really. I man, I, I love our order of service. I think it's really beautiful. I love how the music when it ties in with the liturgy, when it ties yeah. in with the confession, and then we confess this thing together, and then we we read God's mm-hmm. word together. So 
this is why we, we love liturgy. This is why we love um, confessing creeds and, and mission statements together. And the Apostles' Creed is a great one because it, man, we, can, we can confess these things knowing that the church for decades and hundreds of mm-hmm. years and spanning all sorts of geography and, and ethnicities and, and languages, they're conf- they've been confessing this. We get to step into this great tradition of confessing these truths. So let's look at the second half. I'll read the second half, and then we're, like we did on the last episode, uh, we're, we're going to look at where do we see this in the scriptures. Because again, we want you to know that this, this creed is, is biblical. It is pulling out and compiling texts of scripture to give the church a standard of orthodoxy. So today we're going to be looking at this part of the creed. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, let's look at that first piece. He ascended into heaven. Where do we see this in Scripture? Here's Luke 24, verse 51. While Jesus blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. It's interesting. Carried up. Carried up. Mm -hmm. Carried up into heaven. So why is this important for us as New Testament believers, as followers of Jesus, as members of a local church? Why is this important for us to believe? So I touched on Ascension Theology two weeks ago, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, I have to, I'm probably just going to regurgitate a lot of what I said, <laughs> so I want to stay away from that, so I want to hear Donna Fro. What? And the reason, so I just had a member a couple weeks ago tell me that he made this statement that in most Western churches, you could remove the doctrine of the ascension of Jesus and nothing would change in the church, which was his way of saying that we don't make a big deal out of the ascension of Jesus like original Christians did. Mm-hmm. And I think his mm-hmm. assessment is right. Yes. So, Donifer, why do you think that ascension, Jesus' ascension, is actually important? It, ultimately, it's... Uh, what? Nothing. Well, we timed it perfectly, but that doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> you acted like something was still wrong. No, I acted like something was great. Oh my gosh. Oh. Can you just cut it and just pretend? Sure. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's important because we, we see um, the Lord taking his rightful place beside the father um, at the throne. And it connects a lot of, obviously, scripture later on. Um, but I also think it it gives a lot of um, clarity to what Jesus was speaking to the disciples over the course of time when he was with them. They probably, at that moment in time, were like, oh my gosh, like, this is real life. You know, this is this is such a wonderful moment to be a part of. And there probably was also uh, amongst the wonder and awe of what was happening. There's probably some sorrow like, Oh no, he's leaving us. Like what's going to happen now? So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would, you would think that you would think that there would be sorrow. Um, but the text actually says that when he was carried up into heaven, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So why, why him, why with his physical departure, they're seeing their king ascend, he's leaving them. Mm-hmm. Why, why 
are they led to worship as a result of that? Because Joseph is totally right. Like you would think like they'd just spent the last three years following Jesus, um, hearing the sound of his voice. Um, Yeah, yeah, like communing with Jesus in the flesh. And so everything in, in you would think like, oh my gosh, Jesus was being taken away from them. Why wouldn't they be filled with great sorrow? Why did the gospel writers mention that they were filled with great joy? Yeah. And it's because they they knew that the ascension into the heavens meant that Jesus was being inaugurated into the place of power, mm-hmm. where Jesus would be able to share with them what only somebody in the place of power can share with them, which was the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So like they, I mean, like for for them, they they knew that one of the Caesars. 20, 30 years ago, claimed that his dad ascended into heaven. And that was a power play by one of the Caesars to claim that his dad was God mm-hmm. and that he was a son of God. And the reasons are pretty obvious why he would claim that, right? Because who is going to disobey the son of God? <laughs> yeah. So it was totally a political play. And so the mm-hmm. Jesus' disciples were historically familiar with this act of ascension. So for them, it was really clear that when Jesus ascended to heaven, they, they were like, oh... He's one-upping Caesar. Mm-hmm. Oh, Caesar isn't the son of God who's at the right hand of God. Jesus is God who's at the right hand mm-hmm. of God. So for them, it was it was not like, whoa, he's levitating, what's happening? Yeah. They were like, oh, I know exactly what's going on here. Jesus is king. Mm-hmm. He's being inaugurated. He's getting his crown, sitting on his throne, yeah, ruling and man. reigning over mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. So this, yeah, well, I would say that would that should lead you to uh, to worship and to being filled with joy <laughs> if, you, if you believe that. Right, right, yeah, but, yeah. The the comment that you that you shared from a church member, yeah, uh, we don't talk about his ascension very much, so we could pull it out of here and people would be like, oh yeah, that's no big deal, but it is a big deal. It is it's showing once again Jesus is showing his his dominion and his authority, like that he is his kingdom is going to be one that's not restricted by geographical boundaries or by a four term a four year term, like he's ascending to. To the to heaven where he is not restricted at all, but and we get to we get to share in that rulership with him, and then a new creation. We are all when we're glorified, we are all going to be sharing in his rule and reign over over new creation, which mm, mm-hmm. I'm particularly excited about. All right, mm. let's look at the second line we've got here. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Where do we see this at in Scripture, guys? I don't know if you got that one pulled up. Yep. Hebrews 1, verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Mm. Why is this important for the church to know and to love? So this is where we get the phrase right-hand man. Because in ancient cult, at, in ancient cultures, the person who sat at the right hand of the ruler was the right hand man, or the person who the ruler gave his inheritance to. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, this this line I think is is one that brings comfort to me, knowing because what does Jesus do for us? He intercedes for us. He's mm-hmm. he's he's communicating to the Father on our behalf. He is he is our go between. So we have access to God the Father because of Jesus. He is the way that we you know. Y- yes, we are saved. Our our sins are atoned for. But He's constantly um, 
seeking our welfare. He is the great high priest Mm -hmm. who is advocating for us. And one who has experienced suffering, one who has experienced um, loneliness, one who's experienced rejection and misunderstanding, one who died for us. So knowing that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, that is, that's one that brings about comfort. It's not like I'm sitting next to you know, God's right hand and be like, yeah, I think I know how to help Joseph out in this particular moment. Hey, uh, God the Father, I think that this is the way that we should go about ruling and reigning over the nations. Knowing that Jesus, the perfect one, the God-man, is seated at the right hand of the Father brings me comfort because he is, because he's good, because he knows mm-hmm. what's best for his church. Yeah, it's, it's also like massive new creation theology, mm-hmm. right? Whoever was seated at the right hand of the king was, was the person to whom the king was going to give his inheritance to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we know that God the Father rules and reigns over all of the cosmos and all of creation. And so for Jesus to be seated at the right hand of the Father means that this is the person to whom God is going to give all of the inheritance of the cosmos. So this also helps us get a peek into the relationship between the Son and the Father and to realize that there's a covenant between the Father and the Son. Before God ever made a covenant with creation or with us, there was a covenant between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit where God the Father promised to give an inheritance to the Son or to give people to the Son. And so it's also like really comforting because it reminds us that we have been promised as a gift and an inheritance to the Son. And so we can be secure in our relationship with God, and we can be secure in our salvation because the promise of God to the Son depends on it. Mm-hmm. So it's oh. this is huge, yeah. right? Yeah. Again, like these aren't just like little beautiful poetic lines, yeah. but they were like, yeah, this sounds good. Let's put that in there. There's huge theology that we're not doing justice with just two little dinky podcast episodes. Like, there's so mm-hmm. much, mm-hmm. so much truth, so much beauty, and so much goodness in this in this creed and Mm. that makes me all the more excited to continue to confess the creed yeah i mean we could do a whole sermon series on the apostles Mm -hmm. creed and we could do one sermon for each of these lines and if we did that we would finally be up to our ankles in the water but that's it man like we're not even in the shallow end of the pool we're all like on the first step and a lot of it's because this this is beautiful poetic but also ancient language Mm -hmm. and so each of these lines is supercharged with meaning from a culture that we don't live in Mm -hmm. and so we're like oh he's sitting right next to god cool well kind of but also inheritance (laughs) power yeah Yeah. control sovereignty yeah it's you guys get it okay so he has ascended to heaven he's seated at the right hand of the father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. This one that might make people squirm if you hmm. uh, don't like judgment, if you don't like thinking of Jesus as a judge. But where do we see this in the scripture? There's, there's a handful of places that we see this, but what's one that jumps out to you guys? You got one? I'm working on it. Okay, so you didn't list this one, but I've got this one up, so I'm just going to go with it. Go with it. Um, um, but I think this actually, you said squirm, so I think this is a really helpful one. So this comes from <laughs> Revelation 6, verse 10. They, he's talking about the elders who are surrounded by the thro- who are in heaven surrounding the throne of God. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. that one a lot. Yeah, and he certainly will. But why is this important for us to... To believe in why is this important for us to confess that that Jesus will come again and He will judge the living and He will judge the the dead? 
Well, it made, it made Jewish people excited. Mm-hmm. So it makes Americans um, shake in their boots a little bit. But Jewish, for Jewish people, judgment and the doctrine of the judgment was actually really, really comforting mm-hmm. um, because they knew that judgment didn't just mean that God was going to come in the flesh and point a finger at people, mm-hmm. which is kind of how we conceptualize it. But to them, their concept of judgment was God coming to set things right in the world again. Mm-hmm. And Jewish people were... They were they were constantly beat up. They were constantly exiled. They were constantly abused by tyrannical nations. And so for them, this concept of God coming to judge the living and the dead filled them with hope, which is why when we look in Revelation, um, the people who are surrounding the throne of God aren't scared of the judgment of God. They want it. They're like, how long until you're going to come judge the living and the dead and make things right? Because mm-hmm. that, for them, their doctrine of judgment wasn't just God pointing a finger. It was also declaring the righteous to be righteous. And it was also restoring creation. And it was making things right in the world. And when you begin to see it that way, you begin to get excited for the coming of Jesus, which is how mm-hmm. we should feel. Mm-hmm. I think it also... Oh man, there's this. Let's see if I can find this. Um, I think that it's also like something to think that, like, when you're being judged, when you're being judged by a friend, or if you're in a competition, you're being judged by an actual judge, or you're in front of the jury, you're being judged. Like, there's imperfection in that judgment, and. I believe that God will judge righteously. Me too. And I think that that is something that, like, when we say when we say that, like, it shouldn't be a fear of judgment. It should be a like you were saying, like a confidence in the righteousness of Jesus to judge rightly. And that I think that's almost like an encouragement to know, like, oh. He's going to judge and it'll be perfect judgment. And the way that he does it will be in love and love in all facets of what that word means because there's so much to that word. But I think that that's something that, like you're saying, like with with Jewish culture, I'm sure they were like stoked, like, yes. But for even us as believers, like knowing, okay, we're going to be judged and that will be a perfect judgment and that's a good thing so because if someone else did it it would not be good and mm-hmm. everything would suck so <laughs> yeah and like there are people in the world who are liars yeah yeah and they're manipulative and they're abusive and they slander people wrongly and um the world rewards them for that and so that it means as Christians, if we're committed to honesty and integrity and telling the truth in this world, we're going to be on the losing end of a lot of things mm-hmm. because we don't participate in lying and slandering. And so there should be this sense within us of, God, aren't you going to make things right? Mm-hmm. Like these people who slander us continue to receive attention from people and applause from people. And I'm over here on the losing end of things because I'm committed to truth and integrity. And um, so for God's people, we should be like, come make things right, mm-hmm. God. Mm. Yeah, he's the perfect judge who is going to deliver the perfect verdict. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We're not having to worry about him being a biased jury. 
right. or, a, or a, a corrupt judge that can get paid off to deliver a certain verdict. But he's coming back mm-hmm. to make things right. Because that's what a, what a judgment is supposed to do. Yeah. It's, it's supposed to, yes, punish um, unrighteousness, but it's also called to to properly appreciate um, righteousness. So you want to you want to restore balance and wholeness to life. So and that's what he's going to do. Yes, balance and wholeness. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. So he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. And this is where like the language seems kind of weird because then it goes into I believe in again. So the first piece is I believe in the Holy Spirit. Why is this important, guys? And where do we see this in Scripture? So this is Jesus in John fourteen. Jesus says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, capital H, helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Mm. Mm -mm. You're our charismatic buddy over here, Mm -hmm. Joseph. Why is it important to believe in the Holy Spirit? Well, just that. I mean, (laughs) that, that... God knows we need help. And he knew from just reading that, like he knew from the beginning that we would need help. And so to have that peace and knowing that we have a helper in the Holy Spirit, I mean, we need to believe in the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. because that's, that's our, that's our physical connection and spiritual connection between us and the father and the son who is at the right hand of the father. So Mm. I think that's really important. Probably, probably one of my favorite lines in this. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's not what you're expecting Jesus to say, though. Yeah, um, you you do have all of these Old Testament prophecies of the Spirit dwelling with God's people, but it always happens in a temple. It always mm-hmm. happens in a building, yeah. and so um, when you when Jesus begins to promise the Helper or the Holy Spirit. You're kind of thinking, oh, yeah, he, the, the Spirit is going to come back and dwell in the temple. Or you're thinking, oh, he, the, the Spirit's going to come back and dwell in an even bigger temple that's mm-hmm. even more massive in Jerusalem that yeah. overshadows all of the cool architecture and buildings in Babylon. That's what's going to happen. What you're not expecting Jesus to say is that the Holy Spirit's going to come dwell in you. Mm-hmm. So you're like, oh, my gosh, is Jesus saying that we are going to replace the temple? And yes, he's saying that we are going to replace the temple. Paul picks up on this, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wow, dude, there's so many implications Mm, that come mm, from this, mm. this, this statement of belief. The Apostles' Creed is awesome. Like this is a Trinitarian creed as well. The Father Almighty, yeah. Maker of yeah, heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, so we have this Trinitarian belief. And so one of the one of the good things, and you you touched on this um, on your in your sermon last week, Cole, of like uh, on being indebted um, to to one another, but not being indebted to God because God is triune. He has everything that He needs. He is self sufficient. He doesn't need us. And so w- believing in the Holy Spirit and in this the Trinity is is beautiful and it's good because it shows, I mean, to me, this is just another layer of proving that God is God. He is triune. He is mm-hmm. fully yeah. loved by himself. He is fully cared for by himself. And so 
when I'm called into this relationship with him, he doesn't, he doesn't need me, but mm-hmm. he invites me in there. And yeah. the way that I get that is by the Holy Spirit filling me and residing mm-hmm. inside of yeah. me. Which then, if I do believe that that's true, that I am uh, filled by the Holy Spirit, that I am the temple of, of the living God, then I need to conduct myself properly. Mm-hmm. I, don't mm-hmm. need to, I don't need to defile God's temple. Yeah. Um, so there's so many right, things that right. flow out of this belief of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We, need to, we need to conduct ourselves properly as temples of the living God. And, and I feel like Protestants need to hear this. <laughs> We need to relate to one another mm-hmm. properly and yeah. see other people properly yeah. as temples of the living mm-hmm. God. The thing that I think about is Roman Catholics believe, and I think that they believe this wrongly, but let's think about this as a metaphor still. Roman Catholics believe that the literal presence of Jesus is in communion. Mm-hmm. So this this changes mm-hmm. the way that they handle communion. If you've ever seen Roman Catholics handle communion, man, they have... Mm-hmm. They, they handle the wine gently, and they hold that bread gently because the presence of God is in those things, man. We got to be gentle and careful, and we have to treat those things with reverence and awe and respect. And as Protestants who believe that we are now where the presence of God dwells, we should handle each other like that yeah. with reverence and awe. And oh my gosh, Joseph has the presence of the living God within him. I better be careful with him. I better not throw him on the bus. I better not lie about him or slander him. I got to handle this dude mm. with reverence and awe because God is in you. Yeah, that's good. And then I think maybe ties into what you were just saying, um, <clears throat> Andrew. Um, so we, we have Acts where the like Jesus is talking to uh, the disciples, one verses seven and eight, uh, it says, um, "Is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you." So, like, <clears throat> this ties in a little more to the charismatic side of things with me, because like, there's power in. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit dwelling. So we have, there's power when we pray, there's power when we confess, there's power when mm-hmm. we do all of these things. And so it's it's not that we have power, it's the Holy Spirit in us. And if we believe that He is with us to help us when we pray, there is power in our prayers. Um, and I think that's something that as a church we're connecting to even more lately then i mean i know we pray a lot but like it's just adding to the fire of what god is doing in the church um at frontier and so like being mindful of when we pray that the holy spirit is moving in power and he's given us that like jesus left the holy spirit with us and he's mm-hmm. and he's giving us that that's that's pretty awesome to think you know so mhm yeah, we keep going on about this one, but we gotta, we got to keep going. Gotta I think we going. all like the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think that's, that's safe to say. <laughs> and we get to, yeah, we got Pentecost coming up. Hallelujah. Ooh, Here we come. All right. Wear a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Pair to get concussed. All right. So we believe in the Holy Spirit. What else do we believe? The Holy Catholic Church. Now, this is the one that every Baptist <laughs> squirms at and wants to change. Um, so what do we mean when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church? And what is the Holy Catholic Church? Where is it in Scripture? Where do we find this, this concept of the, the Holy Catholic Church in Scripture? So Jesus promises in Matthew 16, 
And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I love this passage because it goes so many ways. But this is so. This is where you see uh, a divergence between Protestant and Catholic thought. So a Roman Catholic would would look at this and say Peter was the first pope, and therefore uh, those the, the, there's this papist um, secession um, of of leadership and of of governance over the church, and so they would say this is the beginning of the Catholic Church. And it, anything outside of that bounds is not a part of the true Catholic Church. But what does that word Catholic mean in this creed? Does this because mm-hmm. our minds as Protestants goes to Roman Catholicism, but that's not what this creed is talking about. No, Catholic means worldwide. So it is the worldwide Church in every location on creation. So um, that's why, for instance, like Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, some of the big reformers. Wanted, they wanted to be known as Reformed Catholics, mm-hmm. not because they wanted to continue the work of Roman Catholicism, but because they really believed that they were reforming the worldwide true church. So Catholic here does not mean that we belong in like belong to the Pope. Mm-hmm. It means that we are part of the legitimate worldwide church of Jesus. That that's just like mm-hmm. so important. Yeah, yeah. So that means we don't have to be members of local churches, right? <laughs> oh, do we want to do that? Do we want to do a little bit on membership to the church? I think so because some people will yeah. say I've encountered people, the same people who would say I don't need to pay attention to creeds because I've just got the Bible and the Holy Spirit, or the people who would say I don't need to be a member of a local church because I'm a member of God's universal church. Mm-hmm. So how do we how do we flesh this out? Why is this important? One to know that we are a member of the local church or a member of the universal church, but how do we? How do we actualize our membership in the in the universal church? We are God's people, but does this mean that we don't find local expressions to engage in the church? No, not yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. So, um, no, the concept of not belonging to a local expression of God's Catholic Church was it, it was unknown. To, that wasn't a thing in first century mm-hmm. Christianity. To say that you follow Jesus and to reject the local church would have been, <laughs> that's just unheard of, right? Um, I mean, part of that was like, part of that was the culture, right? Um, not everybody had copies of the Bible, mm-hmm. right? The, the scriptures were like on scrolls, and those scrolls were located in the local churches. So you did not have access to God's word apart from the local church. Mm. So like you had to belong to a local church if you wanted to say that you followed Jesus and loved his word yeah. and worshiped with his people. <clears throat> so, And then too, I think, so we're the body of Christ. You know, like we're the body. And that... So that concept, so if you think about it and you say, I don't need to be a part of a local church and you sit at home and you watch your online church or whatever, and then you go about your week and then you come back. Like, I think there is, we need to be very like conscious of the fact that there's power in gathering. And like, if you're the body of Christ, 
and you just sit at home and then go throughout your week and then you go back to home and watch it like you're never actually like coming together to form quote unquote the body yeah you're part but there's so much that can happen amidst that local church and if you're just on your own doing that like mm-hmm. how much are you mm-hmm. accomplishing on your own nothing like there's nothing I mean biblically nothing yeah mm-hmm. there's just nothing happening and so the local church is and I I used to fight this and I <clears throat> have come full circle which is thank you Jesus and your sovereignty is great and you love me <laughs> and 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 so like you you come together and the the power that you have together as a local church to move in your city and impact the hearts of the unbeliever that you come into contact with as you're gathering like we do all kinds of stuff outside of Sunday morning together and like in community groups like we could be in a park and we're together and we're talking to someone who's walking by like we help someone with their car and we have an opportunity to share you know Jesus with them like those those things would not happen if you weren't part of the local church mm-hmm. and that's how i believe that the lord reaches his his unbelieving people that he longs to draw into his into his fold and that i think that's something that we really need to consider as we move on in our walk with the Lord. And if we have that mindset of like, Oh, I just can do it on my own. Like you need to get rid of that. Cause that's silly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I actually really identify with what you're saying. Cause I too went through a long season where the first couple of years of me following Jesus, I was not part of a church and I didn't, I just didn't like church people. And mm-hmm. sometimes I still don't. <laughs> so I'm like, nobody has hurt me more than the church. Mm. There is nobody outside of the church who has wounded me more than people inside the church. So I get it. Um, But I used to say silly things like, I'm not a church guy. I'm a kingdom of God guy. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is, of course, Jesus, right? He says, he says, (laughs) to put it lightly, (laughs) I I will build my church and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You can't be a a kingdom of God guy, but not a local church guy. That's like sitting in the car without the keys. Mm -hmm. You can't move, dude. Like the church has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I don't Mm -hmm. care whether or not you like that. That's what Jesus said. And that's the way that he, he, Uh and that's the way he structured things. Yeah. Uh, A mentor of mine once said in his years of pastoral counseling, uh, when people would come to him doubting their salvation and particularly college students, um, he found that it was because they were not faithful members of a local church. They were mm. they were outside, um, outside of the expression of the universal church in the local church, and it caused them to to doubt their salvation. It caused them to be overcome by sin at, at times um, because they they were not actualizing their membership in God's God's universal church. Um, and that's why you know whenever church discipline that has to be escalated to. Um, to uh, disfellowshipping someone is it's like them being kicked out of Eden where they are being handed over this to the to the devil that they may repent um, but the local church is how you know you're a member of of the universal church the, God uses the local church um, and your membership in the universal church to persevere your faith um, so mm-hmm. so believing in so okay so we talked about local church let's one, what is one takeaway from believing in the universal church that that the church is not limited to a particular geography? Humility, I think, is one takeaway. You realize that your expression of following Jesus in your locale is really, really awesome, and praise God for that. 
but the way that we follow Jesus in Frontier Church is not the way to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. We yeah. celebrate the way that Presbyterians follow Jesus and the way that Roman Catholics follow Jesus and the way that Baptists follow Jesus and the way that a lot of different denominations across the world follow Jesus. We don't agree with them and everything they do. Otherwise, we would be part of that denomination. But we say, dude, you're a brother and sister in Christ. And if you believe in the gospel, then you are part of the universal church. It's not our way or the highway. Mm-hmm. We love you. That's mm-hmm. good, man. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. So humility, I think that's big. Yeah. And the fact that you can go across the world and find believers is mm-hmm. amazing. So yeah. dope, dude. Yeah. It, yeah. It protects you from yeah Christian imperialism. I've been like, the way that we do it in the West, that's that's best. Uh, <laughs> but the church is exploding all over the world. And so knowing that God is not restricted by geography is amazing. That his ambassadors are all over creation. Mm. And we want to see mm-hmm. more of that. That's what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And all over time. Mm-hmm. We belong Bro, to the yeah. same church that Calvin did. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, this is, this is crazy. We talk a lot about um, the temple and the Christian being the place where heaven and earth overlap which is really, really cool. Um, But also the Christian is the place where the future and the present overlap. Mm -hmm. So like we're we're meant to be the place where the future eschaton has broken into the present. And so Paul says of us Mm -hmm. that we are already raised with Christ, Mm -hmm. that we are already (sighs) raised in the heavenly places, even though we're not. What's what's he saying? He's saying that Christians are living, breathing places where Mm -hmm. the future... And the past and the present overlap. And so in a really weird way, like we're part of the same church that Luther was a part of. And Mm. the way that we follow Jesus in 2021 isn't the way. It's one of the beautiful ways that God has worked through his church. That's so good, man. That's good. And I like, I like, I like this. This is good. So I went to this kind of, I think this ties it in for me. Um, I went to India a little while back and was hanging out with some people. Um, uh, there was this orphanage we were connected with. And so we were, we were spending some time with them and they had a fasting and prayer night every Sunday where they would fast dinner and pray together. And well, a, it's like these teenagers and a couple of younger kids that, um, were, seeking the Lord and falling on their face before the Lord and praying for the church, which I thought was like the craziest thing. Like, I mean, I know we need to do that, but like, they're like weeping and asking the Lord to be with their brothers and sisters at this time when I was there Mm. in China Mm -hmm. that were being persecuted by um, the government. And they, you know, they have all these like underground churches and stuff, but like this, like what we're talking about right now, like the universal church, like, we're connected to those people even though we don't experience their suffering we also have the opportunity as Mm -hmm. believers to pray for them and to ask the lord to encourage them because like there are no limits to the power of the holy spirit and what he can do through the prayers of the saints that may be in america or in india or wherever you are and so because i believe that even like where i was in india like those kids still pray for the church all over the world. So they may pray for Mm. the church in America. And that's like a huge encouragement to know, like we have the opportunity to connect in that way too. And I think that's really cool. So, which fills your life with wonder and awe Mm. because like, okay, so this is going to blow your mind. Well, it does for me, but literally that means that whenever we experience an obedient step in Jesus Christ, 
that obedience might be the result because somebody over at First Family Church in Ankeny is praying for me. Mm. Yeah. Right? When I open up my Bible mm. or feel compelled to pray for somebody yeah. or take any step of obedience, that might be because somebody at Redeemer Church in Cedar Falls is praying for me. Or That's maybe good. even somebody across the world who's a part of Acts yeah. 29 and Frontier Church came up on their prayer list that week. I mean, doesn't that like fill you with dude, wonder, so dude? Good. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> this is why we love the church. Yeah. <laughs> and it like it definitely strips away any illusions of, oh yeah, man, I had a good day yesterday in Jesus because like I have such a strong will. It's like, no, bro. That's probably cause somebody prayed for you all the yeah. way across the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah. That and you know, Spurgeon preaching these powerful sermons, and you have people like under the stage praying for the sermon, praying for the reading of God's word. That yeah. is sick. Praying bro. for the listening. And he talks about, you know, like these the, the little old ladies who are praying having more power than he does. Like mm-hmm. just making these bold claims, you know, the prince of preachers, yeah, known for his good. sermons, but he talks about the power of 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 prayer from from the church. All right. Next up on the list, we believe in the communion of saints. What do we mean when we t- we're talking about the communion of saints? I've realized that I messed up the notes that I sent you guys, so you'll probably look at those passages that I put in there, but they are incorrect. So. <laughs> where, where, is, where is it? Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but I would say Acts 2 is a good expression of the communion of the saints. But mm. but the, the belief here is that that we are united in Christ. We are mm-hmm. one together. We're, we're one household that's being built up. Uh, we are, we're living stones making up um, this household. Um, mm-hmm. So when you look at Acts 2 and you look at the, the early church that is you know being multiplied and built, it says... That uh, in verse forty-two, they had they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Mm. Why is this important for us to believe in the communion of saints? Yeah, so I think, well, it helps us see the communion of saints, and it helps us see the church as what it is. Um, you know, the word, one of the, one of the New Testament words for church is assembly. And in Rome, an assembly was the smallest governing body in the culture. And so, like, in a very real way, um, an assembly is a political body. It's a city, right? And so, like, the church is supposed to operate and live like a little political body and like mm-hmm. a little city. Like, we pledge allegiance to Jesus. Mm-hmm. We have our own law. It's King Jesus's law. We have our own government. It's the government of the local church. And so, like, in a really, way, real, in a really real way, we operate as, like, a political governing body and to see ourselves as the city of God on earth is really important for the way that we choose to spend our time and our money and our resources. And that's why we give to the church and that's Mm -hmm. why we give to other believers and that's why we meet people's needs is because this is our city, man. Hmm. Yeah, and the reform we kind of touched on this uh just a second ago, but like the the reformed understanding of this is that that we are all a part of God's God's people, both the living and the dead saints, like we're all unified in Christ. Um, and so mm-hmm. that, that, you know, we just talked about this. If we, if someone has the, the presence of God 
in in them, if they're a little temple, then, then the way that we go about relating to one another is has massive implications, huge mm-hmm. implications. If we don't, you know, to use your grid from from your sermon last week, are we looking at our ourselves as somebodies or servants? Like, mm-hmm. if we don't believe in the communion of saints, or if we just treat like it's a, a trophy to put on a shelf, then we're not going to give a dang about the person to the left or the right or in the front or behind us when we're gathering together on Sunday mornings. We're not going to sacrifice for one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just all about your personal experience, mm-hmm. mm. which is a, there's an element of that for sure. Uh, but that it's it's just about more than your own personal experience, and this is why we've got to get communion and um, Holy Catholic Church because like you hear people say like, well, don't go to church, be the church. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know what you're saying. You're saying, like, we need to follow Jesus outside of Sunday mornings. Um, but just say that, because by yourself, you aren't the church. Mm-hmm. You're a member mm-hmm. of the body. You're part of the church. But you are not the church. To be the church, you have to go to church and uh-huh. gather with God's people. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, if you think you're the church, we just we have some really big problems. Like, okay, so you're the elder team. You're the pastoral team. You're the overseer of your own soul. You're the deacon team. You're the members. You're the widows and the orphans. I need to talk to your pastor. Who's overseeing your soul? Oh, it's you. Okay, well, then can I talk to a deacon who's like, oh, it's you. It's like, it just doesn't work, man. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to believe in the communion of the Mm -hmm. saints. Yeah, and that's why we practice communion in the way that we do on Sunday mornings. Is When we're we're eating and drinking together, we are showing that no one gets more preferential treatment— no one gets to eat. The, no one has to eat the leftovers. No one's getting a, a more full cup of wine. Like we're we're eating and drinking together because we all have an equal seat at God's table. So when we eat at the same time, we're saying mm. it's not about me. It's about Jesus, and we we are His people. When we drink together, we're signifying we've all been cleansed of unrighteousness by the same blood of Jesus equally. Nobody got an extra ounce of Jesus's blood. Like we we are all made one. We commune with one another. We commune with the Father together. Um, and that's such a beautiful thing that we get to witness and partake in on Sunday mornings. And that's why James is so pissed in James chapter 2, where he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, hey, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James is saying the way that we gather together and commune together as saints matters deeply. Mm-hmm. And there cannot be partiality. There has to be equality because it overthrows the world of man and shows people yeah. what the kingdom of God is like, which yes. is a kingdom with no distinctions. Absolutely. So it's so countercultural. Totally, bro. Like the the church is is supposed to be so different than the the culture of the world um, where you can go walk outside and someone will, if depending on how you look, they'll look at you differently than the next person that walks by based on how they look. Mm-hmm. No one. Yeah. Keep going off on this one. Yeah. I love this one. And like, this is a big deal because in Rome, when the new Testament was written, it was all about a hierarchy of worth. Mm-hmm. There were those who received honor and those who did not. 
And where you fit in in that hierarchy determined whether or not you had value and importance. And in the church, there's only one category, those who have honor. We're all being given the same inheritance. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Like same kingdom. Yeah, yeah. God looks at us the same way. Um, therefore, we should look at each other with the same way, not with preference yeah. to one. Yeah. Yep, yep. All right, let's blast through these last three. Mm-hmm. These are huge. Okay, the forgiveness of sins. Why is this important for us to believe, guys? This one's kind of hard to define. <laughs> <biblically>. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it's how, I mean, if we don't believe in the forgiveness of sins, then we it we don't have the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. We don't have the church. Mm-hmm. We're not part of the assembly. Um, so the forgiveness of sins is how our relationship with God is restored. Yeah. And I think, man, I want to wake up every morning reminding myself that my sins have been forgiven. Mm-hmm. I, I treat it so theologically that I don't cherish and marinate in the fact that I am forgiven from all of my sins. Like mm-hmm. I want to wake up in the morning telling myself and, and experiencing the fact that I have been forgiven because there's a lot of people in this world that have not forgiven me. <laughs> yeah, for real, dude. Yeah. yeah. So knowing that my sins have been forgiven, that I have been forgiven and made right with God, mm. man, that that changes the way that I interact with myself, even. Yeah. It gives you, I mean, it gives you confidence as a believer to like just live your day, like you're saying. Like mm-hmm. you wake up and it's like, oh, thank you, Lord, and it gives you like a, it's like a thankfulness in your heart. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving my sins because I can't do that on my own, and so it encourages thankfulness to the Lord, which is worship. I mean, that's that, that that's such a. And a wonderful thing to know, you know, that's just, I don't know, I think you're spot on with that, waking up and being like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sins. Yeah, Jared Wilson has this really good bit on that, where he says, because your sins have been forgiven, there is never a day where you wake up and Jesus is waiting for you by your bedside saying, jump this high today or I won't love you. He always says, hey, you're accepted, let's go get him. And that means that there's never a night... Where after it's all said and done, you lay your head on your pillow and Jesus is by your side saying, man, Cole, I really thought you were going to have a better day. Mm-hmm. You always lay your head down on your pillow and Jesus says, I accept you. So why in the heck do we act like that's how Jesus acts? Mm-hmm. No, Because that's the way everybody else treats us. I know. We project so much oh. onto him. Mm-hmm. Oh, He's so unlike everybody. Yes. And knowing that your sins have been forgiven and your sins have been forgiven, that it's amazing. Like all of us mm-hmm. have we've jacked up and in different ways, but our greatest sin was rebelling against God and hating him and spitting in Jesus' face. Yeah. Right. But we've been forgiven. That's yeah. that man, that leads me to worship. Yep. Hallelujah. All right. So the forgiveness we believe in the forgiveness of sins. What else do we believe? Well, we believe in the resurrection of the body. We t- we touched on Christ's resurrection being the first fruits of new creation. But why is it important for us to believe in the resurrection of the body? Where do we see this in scripture? So Paul's longest chapter is 1 Corinthians 15. A lot of people think that it's his sermon on the resurrection. I think that's probably true. Um, And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body 
must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Ah, let's get it. What's up? Mm. The re... Hmm. Yeah, the regathering of the body and the soul for those for the for those whose sins have been forgiven death does not have the final say mm-hmm. and we don't just continue to exist as disembodied spirits but our bodies and our souls will be brought back together mm-hmm. and that goes into the the last statement here because what what's the point of getting another body of your body being realigned with your soul if you're just going to die again well this well this last line in the creed is helpful and the life everlasting so we believe that if your sins have been forgiven, if you follow and, and love Jesus, that your body will be resurrected at that final trumpet, and you will experience life everlasting. What is where do we see that in Scripture, and why is this important for us? So this is John. This is how John ends his epistle, First John five twenty, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Mm, that's so good. Just mm, the true God and eternal life. So we resurrect and we live with him in eternity. And there's like, I mean, it just kind of seals everything up. I mean, there's just icing on the cake to know that like, I mean, I love, <clears throat> I love how all of these really, all of these just tie in together as you go through it. And mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, there was such intentionality behind this. <laughs> I wonder, stuff I wonder what's going on. Like, you know, so it just, it, it brings it home to know that we have, someone our god that wants to be with us forever he longs mm-hmm. to be with us and he he has chosen us to that i mean i don't know i get all weird about this and like i'm like oh my gosh i could just i, I think it it, 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 make, it makes me speechless it's almost like this like giddy like oh my goodness like he's there and he wants me to be with him so yeah I, yeah it reminds us that death is an enemy yeah. and that death is an intrusion. Yeah. Sometimes you hear people say, you know, well, all good things must come to an end. No, they don't. They don't have to. <laughs> they actually won't. Like, you're, yeah. you're literally wrong. Yeah. Like, good, all the good things will happen forever with ever-increasing yet perfect pleasure and satisfaction yeah. and joy in Jesus. <laughs> and you know, we... When when you die, you don't cease to exist. You yeah. you are a disembodied spirit, so you continue to exist. But why? But it's it's so important to believe in the resurrection of our bodies and the life yes. everlasting. And it's because that God did not create mankind just to have some cool things to play with. Like He wanted earthly imagers. He wanted earthly representatives to 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 cover the the earth with his, the knowledge of His glory. Satan apparently was not too happy about that and so he wants to taint he wants to taint humanity so he introduced he tempts adam and eve adam and eve rebel now the possibility of death is present because they are have to be kicked out of god's immediate mm-hmm. presence restricted from the tree of life so satan he wants to think that he wins because humans die but what jesus does is he 
he defeats death. He defeats sin. So God has his way in the end. Yeah. Right? He's constantly mm-hmm. working toward that. In new creation, his imagers will have bodies. They'll have bodies. Yeah. And they'll have eternal life. The two things that Satan did not want mankind to have. He wanted them to die and to stay dead. He wanted them mm-hmm. he wanted them to live in a state of perpetual death and perpetual sin. And so when Jesus descends to the place of the dead, pronounces uh, pronounces victory over death, over sin, over the kingdom of darkness, he's rubbing it in Satan and his his fallen angels' faces that they didn't win. They didn't win. So new creation right. is the man, fullest manifestation of Jesus' victory over the evil one. Mm. And we get to freaking enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's one preacher. I can't remember who this was, so this is not original with me. But I remember hearing one preacher talk about how frustrated he is when at funerals um, the the pastor reads, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And he's frustrated at that because... That line in 1 Corinthians 15 does not come to pass until the resurrection of the mm-hmm. body. So he's like, what do you mean, oh, death, where is your victory? It's right there in the casket. Uh-huh. That's the victory of death over us in the meantime. It's not until the resurrection of the body that we see death defeated. Um, N.T. Wright says this. This is really good. He says, quote, God's intention is not to let death have its way with us. If the promised final future is simply that immortal souls leave behind their mortal bodies, then death still rules, Mm -hmm. since that is a description not of the defeat of death, but simply of death itself seen from one angle. So he talks about how churches collude with death when they fail to preach the doctrine of the resurrection Mm -hmm. of the body. Yeah. (laughs) Because, yeah, man, there's just so much with that. But yeah, probably nine out of ten funerals I've been to, that scripture is Mm -hmm. read. And so it's like, right. okay, well, you're looking I, at it. Then why am I crying right now? Right. <laughs> so like, why mm-hmm. am I? Do I feel like someone has punched me in the gut? Right. It's because it, death still has a sting. Right. Yeah. So, and I still cry, but there's going to be the, the day at the end of this age, whenever new creation is brought forth, where Jesus is, where sin and death no longer have any. They can't sting you. Mm-hmm. Where Jesus wipes away the, the tears from our eyes. Mm-hmm. The image that I have in my head is. And I always think about this when I think about the necessity of the resurrection. I want to get this tattooed. It's um, um, when I think about the bodies of those who I love in the grave, you can almost see death as this grip or this hand that's closed around them. And the resurrection of the body is when God fully and finally defeats death by breaking every single one of those fingers on mm-hmm. the hand of death mm-hmm. and brings back that body from the dead yes. and resurrects it. Do. Breaking the fingers of the grip of death. Whoa. And so that's what we're declaring when we recite this yeah. line in the Apostles' mm-hmm. Creed. Yeah. I, oh. think, I, think David, I think David connects to this in Psalm 16, and I'm going to read the whole thing because I don't, I don't <laughs> care. Hey, we just talked about this last night at Dude, Community Group. Here it comes. Okay. <laughs> Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after, me, after another God shall multiply. Their drunk offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. That's mm-hmm. really good. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. 
Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. I think that... I think that ties in a lot of what we just talked about. I mean, he yeah, really did. touches on almost everything. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, to think, too, that the psalmist had the imagery there to see what, I mean, we're reading about right now and even talking about. Like, he he connected life everlasting. He connected the resurrection of the body. There's There's so much there in the right hand. I think that that is a really big deal, and, and I think it gets overlooked a lot because in Jewish culture, the right hand is like the strong and powerful. Like it's a, it's it's really important to them, and they really connect mm-hmm. a lot to it. So I think that too like plays into that right hand part. But I don't know. I think that's just such a and just to know like oh yeah, David David even connected that too. Like. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, dude, two weeks ago, I prayed Psalm 16. I really hope Eric Barnum is listening to this podcast, because two (laughs) weeks ago, I prayed Psalm 16 over him. And then last week at Community Group, Eric told me that he went home that night, and his wife had been praying Psalm 16. And so last night, he told me, dude, when you were praying Psalm 16 over me, Heidi was at home reading through Psalm 16. And now you're bringing it up in this podcast. It's just, yeah, it's just crazy, man. I need to do a 52-week sermon series on Psalm 16. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, no, that's my favorite song. That's my favorite song. Well, church, we hope that this podcast has helped you to see that the Apostles' Creed is confessed in Frontier Church, not because it's the Apostles' Creed, not because it's just been around for a mm-hmm. while, but because we believe that this creed is potent, that it has power, mm-hmm. that it, it shows us what orthodox christianity is and we get to step into this tradition together and so when the next time you recite the apostles creed on sunday morning we hope that you can confess it with joy that you confess it loudly so whether you're listening to this in des moines or elsewhere we hope this episode helps you worship local